You know, I'm living my life of my soul. There is no me anymore. I don't have a vision. My vision and my mission is simply to be the servant of my soul. I get told what to do. I get, I mean, I'm just living this amazing life I've surrendered to. Welcome to Insert Human. This is a show that is not for everyone. It's for seekers, people like you, hopefully, who are searching for solutions to your problems, the world's problems, and everything in between. The conversations to come are going to show you how finding the truth of our humanity is the magic key to solving pretty much anything. Between my monologues, my dialogues with brilliant guests, and your good questions, you're going to learn how to insert human into everything, and in doing so, realize a better life and one day a better world. So, I, you know, in preparing for this, I was, I was thinking about our last talk as much as I could remember it, and then I was flipping through this, which I love this book. And I saw, so I'm actually pointing to a book that Richard wrote, of, I guess, a couple years back, right? Two years back? The Worldview Dynamics and the Well-Being of Nations. Yeah, that's my last book. I brought it out in January, yeah. Yeah, so it's very, very recent. But I also noted that the other books, so Richard's a prolific writer, author. In 2019, you published a book titled The Evolutionary Human. Yeah. And that's just, I'd love to start by talking about that. Okay. What's the underpinning of that book? Like, what's the idea? Because I believe I wrote a book called This Is It, and the first chapter in the book is titled Evolve or Else. This, yeah. this sort of call to arms of, sure. or call to action that we, we all really should evolve or care about evolving. So t tell me a little bit about that book and what, what it's all about. Well, I will. And, I, and uh, you know, to begin, I really have to refer to the byline of that book, The Evolutionary Human, how Darwin got it wrong. I mean, that was a bit, you know, in your face. But, but the answer to that was simply evolution was always about consciousness. It was never about species. So if you, if you think about all of the species and then think about, we'll think about Homo sapiens in a moment, what happened was that consciousness expanded through the process of, of evolution of different species. And once it got to an, an evolution through the species, it was in fact, there was physical evolution, but there was always consciousness evolution too. At the same time, as the species got bigger, lived in more complex environments, their psychological makeup had to shift and, and they became more conscious. Then uh, along comes Homo sapiens. Well, we don't know exactly when, but, you know, the origins. But anyway, let's say 200,000 years ago, come Homo sapiens comes along. And what we've noticed is that, you know, we're not actually developing three hands or four feet or anything. But what's actually happening is we are actually in an accelerated, compared to the rest of evolution, in an accelerated mode of evolution of consciousness. And that has been even more accelerated in the past two or 300 years. So the evolutionary human is about, well, what happened? How is the evolution evolving? So that's the, the big title of that. And then inside the book is uh, it's actually about evolutionary intelligence. And so let me stop there for the moment and give you a chance to comment on that. Yeah, I think it would be, I mean, I know, again, we've talked about this, but I think for the audience, it'd be helpful for you just to talk a little bit about the Barrett model and how you view consciousness, like what, in Richard's, you know, definition, what, what that actually means. Yeah. Well, you know, people struggle <laughs> to define consciousness, but 20 years ago, I thought, you know what? Consciousness 
and at least in our three-dimensional material world, all everything that we see in our world, and particularly in Homo sapiens, is awareness with a purpose. Definition of conscious awareness with a purpose. Now, what is the purpose? The purpose is always the same. It's to maintain internal stability and external equilibrium inside the framework of your existence. Now, external what? Equilibrium, internal stability and external equilibrium inside okay. your framework of existence. Now, if you can't do that, you're gonna. I don't care whether you're atom, a cell, a monkey, a kangaroo, a human being, an organization, a nation. If you can't maintain internal stability and external equilibrium, you'll disappear. And, you know, there are many organizations that have disappeared because they could not maintain internal stability and external equilibrium. And so that's it. Basically, consciousness is awareness with a purpose, and the purpose is always to maintain internal stability and external equilibrium. And that applies to the human being. And, and that led me into, okay, so, you know, what do we, how do we maintain internal stability and external equilibrium? Well, we do that by meeting our needs. And I make a distinction between needs and desires. I'll explain that in a moment. So if you can't maintain your, if you can't get your needs met, you're going to go into internal instability and disequilibrium until you get your needs met. You know, you're going to go, uh, and this applies at a very mundane level, like, uh, oh, God, I want a new car. Oh, I really want a new car. I'm dying to get a new car. Or, I, I, yeah, I really need someone to love me. I, f I feel unloved, you know, and I'm constantly trying to find someone. So there's a need, an unmet need, and... I'm constantly trying, if that is a, a basic belief that I have that I'm not loved, I'm constantly trying to rectify that instability in my mind that I have this fear-based belief about not being loved. So it applies at a very mundane level. It also applies um, at, a, you know, at a larger level. So then I took, uh, I'm actually, uh, I'm actually <laughs> this isn't the order in which things happen. <laughs> but however, then what we could say is this, that, I took Maslow's model of a hierarchy of needs and I said, yeah, that's, you know, I can go with that. I'd like to make one or two changes. And what I realized was that Maslow's model didn't really get into depth around the self-actualization. It touched on it. But then I, when I read Vedic philosophy, I thought, oh, wow, here's, you know, four stages, soul awareness, cosmic awareness, and so on. There were four stages. So I took this Vedic idea of self-actualization and I slid it together with Maslow and developed the seven levels of consciousness model. Now, not everybody knows that. I mean, you can look at the model and it, and it doesn't say that, except if you read in the fine print. So basically, then I, I realized that this was a model of consciousness. So I can operate from survival consciousness, relationship consciousness, two, self-esteem consciousness, three, transformation consciousness, where I let go of all the fear-based beliefs I've learned during those first three level stages of development. I'll talk about that in a moment. And then I enter into what Maslow called growth needs. Well, actually, I call them growth desires because that first part is all about the ego's needs. The second part, the upper part, is all about the soul's desires. Now, what's the difference? Well, the difference is when when you don't get your needs met, you get angry. You know, the ego <laughs> gets really pissed off when it doesn't get his needs met. I mean, you're standing in a queue at the airport waiting for your turn and somebody's taking an interminable time to get something done and you're getting angrier and angry and frustrated. Well, you're not getting your needs met, basically. Now, 
the soul, on the other hand, incarnated into your body. In fact, you don't have a soul. You are the soul, but more about that later. So the soul has desires. It had reasons to come into your body. And those reasons have to do with three things, the soul's desires, self-expression, connection, and contribution. So these form the upper three layers of the model. And the first three, survival, relationship, self-esteem are the first three layers. And in the middle is this transformation where we become conscious. We let go of all of the conditioning and we begin to open up to who we really are, our true self, our unique self, and begin to express that. Now, most of the world never gets past that fourth stage. They, they operate unconsciously. And so for me, the big challenge in the world right now is how do we make people more conscious? How do we move them up into these higher stages of development? Yeah, and I think if you, uh, I mean, it's interesting to sort of contrast your, your earlier statement about the, the rise of consciousness over the last two or 300 years versus how it feels today to be a citizen of the world and to watch what's going on in America in many other countries some some of it covid related some of it not but that you know as, as an observer at all of it all i could i could argue well it feels like we're actually going away from consciousness we're going to that very primal purely fear-based place which is motivating potentially sort of irrational actions that you know you could definitely argue that so so i've been talking about levels of consciousness up to this point and then I realized that actually there are seven stages of development that link to the levels of consciousness. So the, the, the first stage is up to 18 months and the baby is, is in survival mode. It's actually, it has only one brain, that's a reptilian mind brain, and the subconscious of that body mind is a soul mind because you were incarnated as a soul. And then the next stage is the young child up from about two to Eight, and this is that second stage where we conform and, through, and, and we do that in order to stay safe and feel loved and belonging. And then in the third stage, the differentiating stage, the teenager stage, all the way up to 20, we want to be respected and recognized by those people around us. And now, now we're at a, that second stage was all about the limbic mind brain, the emotional mind developing, and the third stage was the opening of the neocortex developing. So actually these first three stages are absolutely linked to the evolution of the brain or the mind. And so most people never get past that third stage because they have a very difficult lives. They have trauma about not getting their survival needs met, not getting their relationship needs met, not getting their respect and recognition needs met self-esteem. And when these needs are not met, we try to go through the rest of our life to try and get these needs met. Now, I'll give you a perfect example that everybody knows, Donald Trump. He has not got to the fourth stage of development. He's still trying to get all of those needs met that he never got met during the first 20 odd years of his life because it was a bit traumatic for him. And so, and so most of the world actually is living in that what I call unconscious state. They're still trying to get the needs met from those, the early part of their life. And now the interesting thing is that, that there is a link here between where the population is in these stages of development 
and in a democratic regime, who they do, who they elect. They elect right. people like themselves. Right. And in an authoritarian regime, they don't even get that chance. You know that. that and so the evolution of personal consciousness, the stages of development, actually leads to issues in global politics and or a national level in terms of, you know, how, for example, how nations handle COVID-19. You can look around the world and see how different nations have handled it. And you see that some have handled it very, very well, and some have handled it not so well. And my analysis shows that those nations that handled it well had leaders who were more at the individuating and self-actualizing self -actualizing level, whereas those who didn't handle it well were still living in those first three stages of development. So we have levels of consciousness, and you can move up and down, and no matter what stage of development you're at, let's say there's a lot of young people in their 20s now who are about to enter the individuating stage, but have lost their jobs. So what do, happens? They're at the fourth stage of development, or just beginning, they drop down to the survival level of consciousness. Now, you can do that. I can do that. We can all drop down to the survival level of consciousness. But it doesn't mean to say you change your stage of development. However, what it does mean is the way you handle survival will be handled differently depending on which stage you're at. Now, the last piece of this is that, so we've got levels of consciousness. We've got stages of development. Development are actually reflected in the worldviews of, of people. The worldview is what actually operates in the world, and, and there have been uh, six worldviews up to this point in time. Clan awareness going all the way back to hunter-gatherers, then we had tribe awareness, then state awareness, Roman times, Greek times, Egyptian times. Then we had, after state awareness, what I call nation awareness, where there was the idea of religion, a monotheistic religion came in. Then we had wealth awareness, which is pretty much our modern world. And then we have people awareness, which is practiced by the Nordic nations, plus New Zealand and Switzerland. And then the next stage, which we're, where we have to get to, is humanity awareness. And so at each stage of development, collectively, we expand our sense of connectedness to the world. That's what consciousness expansion of consciousness means. So in humanity awareness, we become, we don't belong to a nation, we become transnational, we become global. We, we, can't, we make decisions based on the good of everybody. We care for humanity. We don't care for our nation because we realize our nation is part of humanity. So in a nutshell, that's the big theory. Uh, I mean, I think it's, it all very much resonates with me. And I think that last point you made about, you know, we are all part of one world. We are all, my view is we're all related and there's some data that supports that idea. But, but the, I think one of the ironies of COVID is that it's, it's, it's in some circles, it's, it's proposed, you know, it's sort of forced a, well, we need to close our borders. We need to, we need to move away from, you know, the, there's this whole commentary that globalism is dead and we're going to go back to, you know, I don't know, nation states and fiefdoms and, <laughs> you know, so let me, let me tackle that. Now, we started this conversation by saying, let's talk about the evolutionary human. And I said, well, there's a piece in there which is the, called evolutionary intelligence. And so I can tell you now why what you just said may happen in the short term, but it won't happen in the long term. Because 
there are three algorithms to evolutionary intelligence. Now, what is evolutionary intelligence? Whenever we get into a situation where we have a threat to our existence, there are three possible algorithms to solve that threat. The first algorithm is I become stronger and more independent. So I'm going to beat your brains out, basically, you know, strong man. Um, now, when that threat doesn't go away and we can't defeat it through algorithm one, we move to algorithm two. And that is, I'm now going to bond with other people who are facing the same threat to form a more resilient group structure. And that's what happened in the Second World War. And then what happens is, if the threat continues and we can't, even when we're grouping together with other individuals, if we can't defeat the threat, then we form groups, and now the groups collaborate with each other to, to fight the threat. Okay, so three stages. Become stronger and more independent, to bond with others in a group structure to overcome the threat, and then group structures actually cooperate with each other to uh, overcome the threat. And right there, that's the history of evolution from the Big Bang to the present day. It involves atoms, it involves everything. I mean, that's evolution explained. Now, apply that to human condition. And uh, the United States is, uh, and the European Union are interesting examples, along with the United Nations. Say, so, you know, so here you had in the United States these colonies. They had separate monetary systems. They happened to speak the same language because most of the people came from the same countries. But then they had an external threat. Now, they realized very quickly that becoming stronger individually, that they could not defeat that threat because the threat was much stronger. Than, so they bonded together to form a group structure to defeat the threat. And they did. They kicked the British out. And they said, wow, this works really well. Let's move to the third algorithm. Of course, they didn't say that, but they moved to the third and formed a permanent group structure called the United States. Now, the same things happened in Europe with the European Union. The same things happen on the world scale with the United Nations. Now, you can question whether the United Nations is very effective, but it's not because of the structure of decision-making. But you see, these three, you, when you know, know these three algorithms of evolutionary intelligence, you see them everywhere. And so uh, one of the, after I'd finished the book, The Evolutionary Human, Somebody said to me, a leader of a women's group, said, um, online women's group, said, I want you to come and talk about the evolutionary woman. And I said, well, uh, you know, I'm not a woman. And they said, <laughs> don't worry. We think you've got some ideas. Okay, maybe. And it was, uh, you can find that video on the Barrett Academy website. I realized that actually this first algorithm becomes stronger and more independent. is a very male algorithm, right? Yeah. And it, and it belongs to the first three levels of consciousness or the first three stages of development. The less bond to form a group structure and, and work together is a very female. Right. And then, you know, and then we take that to the next level and say, well, now we've bonded, but now let's get all the groups get together and form a higher order group structure. So it became, and, and so when I then looked at the, you know, response, COVID response, you know, the nations that did best were the ones that, with women prime ministers. Yes. You know, it's like, okay. So there you have it in a nutshell. It's, um, I found it fascinating. Yeah. I mean, I've been reading a lot about, well, over the years about EQ and emotional intelligence and that as the world has gotten more complicated, that capacity has become more essential. And a lot is being written now about 
women leaders and how they, I think you're right, they, they, they can operate in that third algorithmic place, you know, very successfully. And I think some percentage of men, are, you know, struggle to get there. Well, I'll tell you why. If, you, if, you, if you've got a moment, Chris, I'll tell you exactly why. Because. <laughs> tell me why. <laughs> bit directive. But this is a pet topic of mine. You see, when you and I, men, males, were young, maybe it didn't happen to you and me, but it happened to any friends, it, between the age of two and eight, we were told, be strong. Don't show your feelings. Oh, yeah. And so we learned not to involve our emotions. And so that's what, that's what we learned, and that's how we are in the world. Interestingly, when you go through the stages of development, the, the fourth stage is the individuating stage where you transition from ego into soul or you, transition, you let go of the fear-based beliefs of growing up and you begin to find out who you are. Now, the fifth stage, uh, you enter into finding meaning and purpose through your work. So it's a self-actualization stage. And at the sixth stage, the integrating stage, we, we, we found our meaning and purpose. Now we want to make a difference, but we can't make a difference unless we can connect. Now here, if you're a man and you experience that second stage where you denied your feelings, you cannot pass through the integrating stage. That's the 50s, basically. And there is a direct consequence to that. And that is, uh, in terms of health, and that is prostate cancer. There's a link between the sixth chakra, which is the sixth stage of development, and the second chakra, which is that relationship stage of development. Now, women, on the other hand, have a, a, an earlier problem in that uh, the fifth stage of development, which is about uh, self-expression in their 40s. They have probably a husband who's maybe quite demanding. They've got children who certainly will be demanding, and they maybe have aging parents. And who comes last? Okay. So the women, uh, women tend not to be able to self-express. And that's the fifth stage of development, the fifth chakra, throat and upper chest. Truth. And they finish right. up with breast cancer. So when you look at the data, it shows breast cancer takes off in the late 40s and early 50s. And it shows that prostate cancer takes off in the late 50s and early 60s. And so there is a, so the, the, there is a whole link between physical health, how you're able to move through the stages of development, and the way in which you vote and your worldview in the world. It's all linked together through the stages of development. Did you ever, I'm sure you did, or came come across a book by the name of um, Anatomy of the Spirit by Carolyn Meese? Oh, yeah. I read that many, many years many ago. Many years ago. It's old, but I actually just came upon it. My, we're going through bookshelves and clearing things out lately. And that was the book that turned me on to this correlation between sort of where you are, consciousness stage, development stage, love of self stage versus, you know, and, and sort of the physical maladies, what have you, that can, that can correlate. You know, talk about upbringing and its impact on somebody. My dad was a four-star admiral in the Navy, you know, very, very serious, very strong guy he died at 58 of colon cancer. And if you read Carolyn Meese's, if you, in Anatomy of the Spirit, she actually correlates, call it emotional limitations with physical maladies. And 
the colon is actually sort of a form of emotional constipation or colon cancer can be sort of caused by it. So I, I completely subscribed, subscribe to what you just shared. I, I want to ask you a very sort of pointed question about the journey from the first three stages, which as you said, are ego-based, fear-based through that transition stage into a more soul-based existence. A lot of people that I talk to understand the logic of that, are motivated by that as a journey, as a, as a roadmap of sorts. And, and often I get the question, but how do I, you know, and I, and I, I know there's no formula, there's no pill to take, but I'd love to just have you talk a little bit about how does a, how does an individual, I'd like to actually talk about two things. How does an individual move through those stages? Can you by choice or is it, how much the circumstance impacted? And then the other piece that I want to cover before we we uh, we leave each other today is 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 the is the country level version of that, which is how do we move a society? You know, how do we help a society move move through to a higher level of consciousness? Okay, so let's start with the individual, then we will go to society. So um, yes, we can all move. That it's one of the programs I teach every year called Living Your Soul's Destiny. And basically, we are all on that journey. We incarnated the souls. The soul created the ego around 18 months, two years to protect itself from the pain of separation. The soul lives in an amazingly connected world, a love-based world, and finding itself in three-dimensional material awareness with a lot of separation is very painful. So it created the ego. Uh, now, the ego then took charge and did the best that it could. Now, the ego, or if, you, if during the, that second stage of development, two to eight, after the ego is formed, beginning to form, you were sexually abused or you had a lot of abuse, the ego did the same thing. It, it created alter egos to protect itself. And so, and, and the thing about alter egos, which is absolutely fascinating, is that in one alter ego, you can have diabetes, and when you're not in that alter ego, you don't have diabetes, and it's medically proven. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And you can, even, you can even be blind in one alter ego, or almost blind, and then when, the other, when, they, when you're not in that alter ego, you can see perfectly. I mean, I've done a lot of research on this. And so, so actually, so what the ego does is what the soul does. It creates a psychic entity called the ego. The ego can then actually create all the egos. But anyhow, let's not get into all the egos. So then uh, <laughs> the ego does the best it can to learn how to survive, feel safe, and feel secure, the first three stages. And you get to the, you know, you get to the um, you know, early 20s, and you either individuate or not. And individuate means, well, I let go of the fears that I've accumulated because the fear-based energy is a very low frequency and the love-based energy of the soul, the soul is there in the background all the time, is a high frequency and the two don't mix. So as you let go of the fears that you have at the ego level, you open up a space for, uh, for the higher frequencies to come in. Now, that's what it's all about. But the question then is, uh, if you're in, you, you move through your 20s, you get into your 30s and 40s, so you get blocked. So let's say what hap what's happening. Well, if you have any residual fears from the survival level, they'll show up the first stage of ego development. If you get to the fifth stage, which is the first stage of soul activation, those survival fears will show up and you won't be able to self-express. I'll give you an example. 
uh, I was a I was a, a transportation engineer, top of my game, working at the World Bank, traveling all over the world. And all of a sudden, in my mid forties, I thought, "Wow, I'm totally bored with this." I, I, this had excited me so much. I'm bored, and I realized I was in the wrong stream. I thought I heard my soul say transportation when I was 17, but it actually said transformation. <laughs> and so I'm like thinking to myself, <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, I got to leave the World Bank and go and do something. And my friend said, well, you're just absolutely crazy. You know, if you stay on here another 10 or 15 years, you'll get a six-figure tax-free pension. And I said, I can't do it. And they said, well, you know, you're going, realize you're going out to do something where you don't have a name, nope, you don't have a reputation you know, you're just giving up on your career. I said, yeah, I can't help it. Now, if I'd had any fears from the survival level, I wouldn't would have never been able to do that. That's right. my point. I would never have done that. And so then I would have denied my soul. Now, when you deny your soul, you get depressed. You don't get angry. The ego gets angry. But when you, decide, when you don't fulfill the desires of your soul, you get depressed. But I didn't. And so so, so now, what the thing to do is, uh, if you're at the 40s and you feel blocked, well, what is it from the survival level? What is the fear-based belief that you need to unlock in order to move that? And that's one of the things that we teach people how to do. And then at the, at the next level, in their 50s, which is about integrating, it's about links back to the relationship level. So what fear-based beliefs do you have at the relationship level that are blocking you from integrating? And then at the serving stage in the 60s and onwards, what fear-based beliefs do you have from the third stage, which was the differentiating stage when you were learning about self-esteem and, and confidence? If you don't have that confidence in your 60s, you're not going to be able to contribute. And so there's a link between the upper adult stages of development and the your, the impact that the lower stage of development had on your life. And so understanding that link and then working to release the fears enables you to move on this journey. Now, do you ever fully overcome those fears? Probably, if their fears are very deep, no, but you learn how to master them. So, for example, um, one of my fear-based beliefs was I was not loved by my significant female lover, which came all the way back from my childhood. And my mom was great, but she never hugged me, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So I realized that you know that belief still gets triggered. Here I am, seventy-five years old, but I've learned to master it because now instead of taking two days to get over being triggered, I can be over it in ten seconds, two minutes. But it's still there, hovering in the background because it was fundamentally embedded in my brain or in my mind when I was very young. So it's about personal mastery. So yes, you can. And then you can live a fulfilling life and you can get over these fear-based beliefs. If they're not so deep, then you actually get over them completely. If they're deeper, you learn how to manage them and like any disability and you move through them much more quickly. So it's absolutely possible. Yeah, my quickest side to that for, based on my own personal experiences is for me, simply naming the fears, like, like actually sort of looking in the life mirror and identifying the fears. Yeah, exactly. That's the first stage. Whether I got to mastery immediately or not, just just acknowledging what they were was really, I found very helpful, very freeing, just, just that act. That's the first step. And that's what we teach. And what, you know, what is it that's holding you back? Name it. Understand where it came from. Oh, it came from when I was 10 years old or it came from when I was 18 or whenever. Understand where it came from. Right. Because it was perfect at that point in time, but it's just no longer applicable. Right, right. 
So, so let's, let's I'm mindful of the time. Yeah. Talk to me about the world and, and societies and how, how we sort of, how we as a collective can do better for the collective in, in helping people move, move through. So just as individuals go through these stages of development, the, as I said earlier, in democratic regimes, the stage of development of the collective is a reflecting of the average stage of development of the people in the nation. Very strong link. Now, so where are most nations? Most nations are still in the first three stages of development because their people are still in those stages of development. Now, how do I know that? Because I've been measuring consciousness of nations now for 2014, 16, 18, and 2019. And I I can tell you that the vast majority of nations are still in those ego stages, and it shows up in the leaders they elect or in the authoritarian regimes. Most nations are actually, if you look at the intelligence unit data, most nations operate from in an authoritarian, with authoritarian leaders. So, So people in those regimes, people cannot individuate. Arab Spring was a great example where there were people in North Africa, young people who'd been abroad, got an education, came back. They were able to meet their survival, safety, and relationship needs and security needs. And and they wanted to individuate. They wanted to become fully who they were and have a voice in the world. And they hit up against regimes that didn't want to happen. And so they, they demonstrated. And many of them left because it, it was... So, so if you live in an authoritarian regime, the chances of individuating, like former USSR, I mean, if you voiced an opinion at the individuating stage, or no matter what stage you're at, you were locked up in the Gulag Archipelago because that wasn't allowed, you know, to have a voice, to have individuate. You weren't allowed to individuate. And so in a democratic regime, you are, you can, and the process goes quite slowly. So, however... You can accelerate that process, and that's what the Nordic nation did starting in 1850. There is a reason why the five Nordic nations are always at the top right-hand corner of any graph, you know, in terms of success, happiness, well-being. And it's because the leaders of those nations in 1850 said, look, the, the, the industrial revolution is coming all of these people who work on the land are going to move to the cities. We need to prepare them and we need them to self-author their lives. This is something that Keegan talks about in his stages of development. They need to self-author. Up to that point, they had a socialized mind. They just tried it to fit in. But now let's self-author. We have to teach them how to do that. It was basically an individuation program that began in the 1850s in these countries. Finland, it was a bit later, and progressed every year for the next, until the end of the Second World War. So all of these people in these nations learned to individuate. And so they learned to be different, to begin to express who they are, and they elected different governments. They didn't elect polarity governments like in the UK with conservative and labor or in like in America with the Democrats and Republicans. Very, you know, very level three antagonistic first First algorithm of evolutionary intelligence, you know, one group represents the rich, the other group represents the poor, and, you know, and it's, no, no, they evolved past the third stage into the fourth stage, and that's where they are. I call that people 
awareness. The one below that is wealth awareness. And in wealth awareness, there's huge inequalities, you know, and that's where, that's what's happening with the, you know, the, the, the various disturbances that are taking place throughout the whole of America right now. Black lives matter. Well, all lives matter, but actually these black lives would uh, have been, uh, you know, they've not been lifted up. So if we're going to move forward in this world, in a nation, we have to uplift everybody. And that's what the Scandinavians did. They developed the welfare state. And I'm not talking about communism, which see, it's very mis in America it's very misunderstood what happened. This is a welfare state that, that actually provides welfare for everybody, for the rich and the poor. And people in Sweden like paying taxes. I mean, unbelievable. Because everybody, everybody gets uplifted. And that's a higher level of consciousness. Now, what I'm saying is because we've got COVID-19, because we've got a climate crisis, because we've got international drug barons, we need to lift our consciousness beyond people awareness to humanity awareness. We need to, when we care about humanity, we will move to a whole new stage of development, which is absolutely fundamentally necessary right now if we're going to save our species. And that is my big thing right now. I've in the last few years, I've been working on the Humanity Awareness Initiative, and I'm just going to put out some videos in the next week or two describing in detail. But if you go to my website, barrettacademy.com, you can find a lot of information about Humanity Awareness Initiative, what it's all about. But basically, it's about uplifting everyone. Well, I don't know, I, I don't know if I talked to you the last time about this, but I'm in the middle of writing a book titled Technology is Dead, which was a talk I gave in Singapore last year and a half ago. Yeah. And it's really... It's really part one is about why most innovation fails because it's not directly connected to the truth of our humanity. And this part two is why, why society is failing because it's not connected enough to the truth of our humanity. And, and the third part of the book is, which I've not yet written, is intended to be you know, somewhat of a prescription on how we have to move forward. And the, the punchline to the third part of the book is is calling for what I'm referring to as a second renaissance, this, yeah. this hum humanity first orientation, that it's the only way to save ourselves kind of from ourselves and from the exactly. technological train that we are on. And so it's just, I think we're, again, once again, we're so sort of completely aligned. What you're saying there, uh, what you're saying there is it's the third stage of, the third algorithm of evolutionary intelligence. You know, all these group structures have now got to work together for the good of the whole. If we don't get there, and that's why I'm hopeful. Yes, COVID-19 has for some nations, depending on which stage of development they're at or level of consciousness, they've hunkered down into separation. Other nations are saying, wait a minute, well, we've got to get past this. The only way past this is to collaborate at a high level. And that's where in my camp I'm in. And it will happen at some point in the future because I believe in humanity. I believe in the innate human intelligence. I believe in evolution. It has to happen. has to happen. So let me just conclude with what do you, last time we also talked about your new fellowship program can you share some, oh, yeah. of, some of what you're up to with that and how how the audience might be able to plug into what you're doing yeah uh, actually it's, it's going up on my website towards the end of this week so what's the fellowship program it's a two-year part-time study program which covers all of my 13 books and all of the e 18 e-learning courses that I've produced this year, which you can find on the Bard Academy website. You can actually sign up 
and get three free courses right away. And one of them is about the Humanity Awareness Initiative. So you can sign up and do that. Now, if you want to study with me in a blended learning program, over two years, we will go through all 18 of those e-learning programs, and they cover personal evolution, organizational evolution, societal evolution, and leadership development. So you study all 18 courses, and every month we have a, a cohort meeting, and there's only six people in every cohort, so people get a, a lot of attention. Every four months, every three or four months, you get a one-on-one -on -one session with me about what you're struggling with or what you just whatever it is that you need to move forward. So that's the Barrett Academy Fellowship Program. Who is the ideal candidate for that program? And describe the... Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure. We haven't, we're only just starting. So um, <laughs> well, we're having our intake interviews for the first cohort this week. So the ideal candidate is, first, first of all, somebody who's individuating. So somebody in early 30s, basically, and upwards, who has a very inquiring mind wants to know how the world works in finite detail, both at the chakra level and at the societal level, how the stages of, how the stages of psychological development impact their personal lives, and how they and basically somebody who wants to become fully conscious. Now, what does that mean? To become fully conscious, you have to be aware of how your actions and behaviors impact other people on the planet. You have to be aware of how your thoughts and beliefs impact your physical and mental health. And the third part, which is most important, you have to care about that. You have to care about the impact of your actions and behaviors on other people, and you have to care about the impacts of your thoughts and beliefs on your mental, physical and mental health. Now, if you care about that and if you want to become conscious, then this is a course for you. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Well, our time is up. I just, again, wanted to thank you for being you. You know, as I said at the beginning, incredibly accomplished career, but I think more importantly than that is who you are as a human being and your commitment to trying to help the rest of humanity. And, and I just want you to know I am your biggest fan and I'm by your side. And if whatever I can do to help help the cause, you know, count me in. It's really profound work that you're doing and very grateful. Thank you so much. You know, I'm living my life of my soul. There is no me anymore. I don't have a vision. My vision and my mission is simply to be the servant of my soul. I get told what to do. I, get, I mean, I'm just living this amazing life I've surrendered to. And I think that's a wonderful, I mean, I think that's a wonderful way to, to conclude, you know, the, the, the anecdote you told of realizing that, no, it wasn't transportation, it was transformation <laughs> and giving yourself up to that realization, which required you having moved through the fear stages for sure, but surrendering to your inner purpose, surrendering to your, I was also reading a piece the other day about the power of real intuition and how too much we put up blocks. You know, we don't listen to our intuition. Yeah. And I think you listen very well to your intuition, for sure. For sure. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Chris. Thanks for listening today. If you're in search of more opportunities to realize positive change in your life or work, and you find what I have to say helpful, you can always subscribe to my show, check out one of my new salons. There are weekly virtual gatherings of like-minded folks. 
You can read some of my writings or just listen to one of the talks that I've given around the world over the last couple of years. And you can do it all at chriscolbert.com. While you're there, make sure to sign up for my ongoing email updates. When you do, you'll receive a free copy of the first chapter of my about-to-be-published book, Technology is Dead. Again, it's all available at chriscolbert.com. Thanks again for listening today, and I look forward to connecting more in the days ahead.